Hi, Julie. Hi, Christine. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, yeah, I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I, my puppy is chilling, just content. He's not in his kennel. He's just laying on the floor in front of the front door being as cute as ever. So I'm content Ooh. and happy about that. I didn't have to lock him up to leave That's the room. That's new. He's growing. He's growing. He's becoming like so much more obedient and chill. It was, we're able to like get him to relax and he's not so like rambunctiously puppyish. Anyway, he's he's amazing. He's so cute. Aww. Yeah, that's what's happening. Well, today is um, we are recording this on March 14th, 2023. Mm -hmm. And do you know what other people call March 14th? Uh, 314 day or Pi day. Yeah, it's Pi day. It is Pi so, day. I ran across a little article and I just wanted to share a couple of things about pie if I could. I think that's amazing. Let's do it. First off, do you remember what pie even is? Well, I know it's like three, three point one four, which is like the equation to find the circumference of a circle Ooh. or area. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. That was good. <laughs> Why things is it? That's right, it's right? It's cl close. It's a ratio. Yeah, it's a, it is the okay. ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter. Okay. Or approximately three point one four. Mm hmm. I don't. I think I just knew that it was geometry. I don't think I knew it was a circle, even to be honest with you. Really? Okay. Yeah. So you didn't. You don't. I guess you don't really understand why. Um, like when people say pot, like the pizza pie, like you. you you oh, no, really... no, I do. I do. Okay. I understand that it's PI. I knew that it was 3.14. I knew that it was okay. infinite, but I didn't know the circumference diameter thing. Got it. Okay. Why is pi important? Well, let me tell you, unless you are a mathematician or a scientist, you probably do not encounter pi every day, <laughs> but it is essential in calculating math, engineering, construction, physics, and space exploration. Oh, that's why I don't know. I don't do any of those things. Ah, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ding, ding, bingo. Pi never ends, okay? The number is infinite. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing I really wanted to tell Melomaniacs because I would bet that you did not know this and that none of the Melomaniacs know this. But there is a person and his name is Rajveer Mina. Mm -hmm. Mr. Mina, if you're listening, and I know you are, <laughs> I want to congratulate you for holding the record for reciting the most number of decimal places of pi. Oh my God. In 2015, Mr. Mina, I know you're listening, you recited 70,000 decimal places while blindfolded. And it took you 10 hours. Oh my gosh. A human stood or sat oh my God. with a blindfold on. Whilst saying pi to the 70,000th degree of decimal points. Oh, he my just gosh. stood there and went 3.147653. I mean, for 10 hours, Mr. Mina, like, I don't oh know what kind of award you've gotten, but you, you just 
deserve a big award and a big shout out from this podcast. Gentleman and scholar indeed. Oh, yes. Wow. I'm flabbergasted. I want them to make a documentary about Mr. Mina. They... I don't know who them is, but they, them should. Why haven't they already? I did not. I knew that there was like some like, um, you know, there's always Guinness World Records like revolving like, you know, things with math. So like th the fact that somebody holds that record is not a surprise, but the record is a surprise. Like the fact that it was 10 hours, 70,000 numbers. So he basically yes. recited 70,000 numbers for 10 hours. Correctly. Like he, that means he memorized 70,000 numbers. I just got like. I just like got seriously anxious and nauseous just thinking about the fact that you have to memorize. Like I just, oh my God, I really just need a. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I know. I know. I know. It's a lot. I'm going to do a little more research on him and we're going to revisit him at the next. On the I next really want to revisit him. He has to be, you know, like there's something wrong with him. Yeah. <laughs> or there's something right with him that makes people think he. Like, the, the, it's so right that it's wrong. Yeah, there's something, like, not right in his brain that it can do that. Like, in a really fantastic yeah. way. Like, he, if He's you put man. his brain, yes, if you put his brain in an MRI machine, <laughs> and then you put mine in that same MRI machine, you'd be like, holy shit, this woman can count to 10, and that's it. <laughs> Like, can you imagine, like, oh something is, like... It's just mind blowing. I'm totally we mind need blown. To, so, and I think he's he's of even more significance because. So, I, people that aren't from St. Louis may not understand this, but three one four or th pi is significant to St. Louis people because it's the the our area code. So a lot That's of true, people yeah. are like, "Oh, it's pi day! It's three one four day!" Like it's a, a huge significance to us because, I mean, and not all St. Louis because you know we now have like new area codes, but. The city. Yeah, the, the city OG, of St. Louis. The OG, the OG St. Louis is 314. Indeed. And I believe Nellie has sang about the 314. Thank you. Absolutely. It's a significant it's... thing. So we do need to find out more about him. He he is significant in more ways than we. Yeah, have. I want him to go to St. Louis on mm -hmm. March 14th, 2024. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Mina, let this be our formal invitation. I want you to come to St. Louis on March 14th, 2024. And I want you to go to Pie Pizza. Yes. Mm -hmm. Who Barack and Obama also really loves. Barack Obama has been there. We will put your picture on the wall there. I don't know the people that own Pie Restaurant, but I'm sure they're listening. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure they'll go along with it. We're going to have Mr. Mina stand up front and recite Pie for 10 hours mm -hmm. in Pie Restaurant mm -hmm. on Pie Day in the 314 area code. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I just became an event planner. I just became a big, I mean, look out. It's going to be Fry coming up next, okay? I'm going to be planning Coachella. Fry Fest. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> this Isn't is it fire? Oops. Oh, I called it Fry. But it's, like, spelt weird. So I used, like... to, I used to think it was Fry. I always thought it was Fry until the documentary came out. And they're like, the documentary got Fire Festival. I'm like, Oh. Seriously, I thought it was spelled like it's like F R Y E. I think it's F Y R E, and we just confuse it with fry because we think like oh, it's like the fry boots, but it's fire festival. Right. 
Like F-Y-R-E. Well, gosh darn it. Okay. Well, I, even though I don't know what it's called, the people that put on Fire Festival, and I know you're listening, mm. I'm sorry for you guys because you are still probably climbing out of the hole of shame that that festival put you in, but you fucked mm. it up so much. I don't know why you just didn't call it Fry, you know? Yeah. Because you fried yourselves. We fire festival doesn't even feel right on my mouth. Fire festival. Fire. I always thought it was fry. Yeah, it's fire. FYI. Have you ever um, like met a bunch of people that are into Burning Man? Have you ever like known Burning Man people or Burning? I have Man not known Burning Man people. I don't think I've ever met a Burning. I think maybe like one or two, but I've no, they've never really talked about it. Yeah, I burners, know you have. Yeah, Burners Man, they're a different breed. They are a different breed. Mm-hmm. This is a podcast where we talk about songs and we talk about the lyrics of those songs. We talk about what those lyrics mean, what they mean to us, what they mean to other people, what they really mean. Thank God it is not my turn to have a song. <laughs> it is Julia's turn to have a song. What is your song? I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't do like a Nelly song or something. I, I did not go with my. Oh, with know, the St. Louis pie. The theme. Yeah, yes. I didn't. We might find a theme along here, but I don't think there's no connection. There's zero connection. Okay. But we are going to do a lovely little ditty called You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon. Dana and I have been on a Paul Simon kick. Oh, seriously? I love it. Love it. Oh, um, love Don't it. know a darn thing about this song, though. Could hardly, I mean, can sing come, oh, blah, blah, blah. can sing some of the lyrics, but of the Paul Simon songs, this is not one that is like, you know, super imprinted in my brain like many others. Oh, my God. I love this song. Out of all of the Paul Simon songs, this one like stands out like almost only to me like i'll listen to paul simon and i'm like when is it going to get i'll I'll shuffle through until it comes to this song because this is like the it song for me for him that's so funny it's a complete opposite for you Interesting. it's been stuck in my head it's like baby when you call me you can call me out like literally it's in my head i cannot get it out of my head it's been in my head even before i started doing the research to get this going so i'm i'm excited to see maybe this will change and be the it paul simon song for you you know what you know what Hmm. i'm like hesitant to even say this because it's so embarrassing you don't know it no i know it okay but i always thought it was called you can call me out (laughs) (laughs) every time i've sung this song i've said you can call me out I know. I I almost didn't say it. I almost oh my God, faked this it. Is so exciting because, I ladies and gentlemen, Melomaniac, for the first time probably in history of Melomaniac history, Christine has been way off on something where I wasn't. It's usually the opposite. This is exciting. I I'm super surprised you. you're into any Paul Simon songs. No, when you said my name is Al. I even was like, wait, which song is that? That's where I was like, it's not the one that I think it is. Which song? And then when you started singing, you can call me out. I was like, oh, my God. That's you can call me out. That's call me out. That's exactly what it is. You can call me out. Oh, my God. You're in for a huge shocker. You're in for a big oh, shocker. My wife is going to be devastated when she learns this about me. Okay. Oh All right. Well, maybe call... she won't because that it might be a bathroom on the right for her as well. She might have thought it was. You can call me out too. You never know. Uh, yeah, maybe. 
Okay, so Paul's Simon, his name is Paul, and he sang a song called You Can Call Me Al. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't believe it. I thought oh it was my God, this call is me so... out. You can call me out. <laughs> call me out. Like, call my ass out. I need to be called out. That's what Just I do thought. it. This is what I need to be. Yes. Oh, I've thought it since 1986. Oh, my God, this is going to be fun. Okay. 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 Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. You can call me Al. You can call me out. A man walks down the street. He says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle? The rest of my life is so hard. I need a photo opportunity. I want a shot at redemption. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Bone digger, bone digger. Dogs in the moonlight, far away in a well-lit door. Mr. Beer Belly, Beer Belly. Got these mutts, get these mutts away from me. You know, I don't find this stuff amusing anymore. If you'll be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal. I can call you Betty, and Betty, when you call me, you can call me Al. A man walks down the street. He says, why am I short of attention? Get a short, Got a short little span of attention, and whoa, my nights are so long. Where's my wife and family? What if I die here? Who will be my role model now that my role model is gone? He ducked back down the alley with some roly-poly little bat-faced girl. All along, along, there were incidents and accidents. There were hints and allegations. If you'll be my bodyguard, I'll be your long lost pal. I can call you Betty and Betty, when you call me, you can call me Al. A man walks down the street in a street. It's a street in a strange world. Maybe it's the third world. Maybe it's his first time around. Doesn't speak the language. He holds no currency. He is a foreign man. He is surrounded by the sound, the sound cattle in the marketplace, scatterings and orphanages. He looks around. He sees angels in the architecture spinning in infinity. He says, amen and hallelujah. And then he repeats the chorus a few times and then na, 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 na. And then he repeats the chorus and those are the lyrics. Okay. Let's dive in. What are your thoughts? (sighs) (laughs) Okay. Here's the lyrics. Here's how I would sing this lyric. Okay. A man walks down the street, he says, that's it. Yeah. And then uh-huh. if you want to call me, you can call me out. And then a man, a man walks down the street. You can be my bodyguard. I can be your long lost friend is what I would have said. That's it. That's all I knew. So I'm taking all of this in. Oh, my gosh. You. Yeah. I mean, what about the Betty part? Did you think it, he was saying Betty or baby? Oh, definitely, baby. Never yeah. knew there was Betty. Never knew mm-hmm. Betty was in here. Mm-hmm. Never knew there was a beer belly in here with mm-hmm. a capital B. Wow. Okay. So, mm-hmm. if you'll be my bodyguard, I can call you Betty. I mean, at the beginning, it's just like an old man. He's like, you know, oh, I'm soft in the middle now. I'm getting old. I've got a beer belly. So I'm kind of there. And then um, after that, I don't have any fucking idea what he's talking about or why we're calling him Al. (laughs) Nothing. I got nothing. You got nothing. Oh, this is going to be so fun. I love it. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Okay. So a little tidbit. Okay. So the the song was released in 1986. It's from Paul Simon's seventh studio album called Graceland. So first, we're going to kind of dive into what the title is called. Okay. So you can call me Al. So the name of the song came from... When Paul and his then wife, Peggy, they went to a party of a friend of theirs at a New York penthouse, whatever, apartment. And the French composer Pierre Boulet 
mistakenly referred to them as Betty and Al. He said, thanks for coming, Betty and Al. And then like at the end, like he introduced them as Betty and Al. And because he was French, you know, he thought like Paul and Peggy were so generic. He just went, he just was like, oh, you hmm. didn't really know their name. So we called them Betty and Al. And so that kind of stuck with Paul Simon, I guess. Okay. So that's kind of where the, the, you know, the sonat, like the title of the song, although the song itself has nothing to do with that interaction and has nothing to do with Petty, Betty. It has nothing to do with Pierre Boulet or the penthouse apartment that they went to it has nothing. Okay. To okay. Do with it. The song has a lot to it, but what has more to it is the album Graceland because okay. Paul Simon, he, receive he was he received this bootleg tape and he does it's a tape it's a cassette y'all like legit a cassette called accordion jive hits by the bo yo yo boys okay he was so inspired what accordion jive hits by the bo yo yo boys okay they don't really hold they hold a little bit of significance but this cassette tape was what all he listened to it was really inspiring and it was it was a South African group. And he's, he went to his record label. He said, Hey, I want to, I want to record, I want to do record something with this vibe. I want to go to South Africa. And his label execs were like, we'll just do it here in New York, New York and we'll find some accordion artists and we'll find some artists, some musicians. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to go to South Africa. He insisted okay. on going to South Africa to soak up the culture, to, to meet the people, to meet the Boyo boys, to get some inspiration. Cause he wanted, he was so inspired by this cassette tape. So he goes hmm. to South Africa, but prior to going to South Africa, there he realizes that there's something called apartheid happening during this. Time. Oh yes, a little tiny little blip tiny in South little, Africa's history. It's it's just a huge shit show, is yeah. what it is. It was from 1990, excuse me, 1948 to 1994, per se. It was more the early 90s is when it ends. So apartheid means separateness or state of being apart. So there's two parts of apartheid. There was petty apartheid, which was basically the separation in public areas. So it's basically like segregation. Right. And then grand apartheid, which di- dictated the housing and employment opportunities. So it was severe, severe segregation and racism because the white population in South Africa was actually the minority. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to change that. The white wanted to take over in the South Africa, they wanted it to be more white than black. Mm. So because of all this apartheid happening, there was something called the cultural by, uh, boycott, which is basically an effort supported by various groups attempting to create a democratic state in the country in belief that visits by popular musicians legitimize the apartheid and oppression. So they did this cultural mm. boycott. So it was almost like if you went to Africa or South Africa, or if you bought it, you basically were buying into and you were basically like supporting the apartheid. But that's not what that's not what Paul Simon was doing. He was not doing that. Okay. Right. So he did not seek permission from the ANC, which is the um, African National Congress, I believe. And he went to South Africa, regardless. Of, he, he just he was like, I'm going to do this. And he teamed up with a bunch of local musicians, like authentic musicians. And they literally just basically jammed. They got together, played what? music. They He didn't even have one song written prior to going into the studio. They just went. He hung out with the natives. They played a bunch of music. He had an accordion. He had 
saxophone, everything. He teamed up with Lady Smith's Black Mambazo, who were a really, really popular South African a cappella group. And he just played the music. Oh. And he even said I, he didn't want to politicize the record. Instead of writing a song like Biko, which is a song um, by Peter Gabriel about apartheid. It was a political song. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He said, my idea was... They play their best. I play my best. I didn't come in here other than promising to make a great record. You don't need to tell my story. I don't need to tell yours. Let's just play. He just wanted to, he was inspired by this, this tape. He wanted to play the music of this culture that was just so fascinating to him. So there's a documentary called Under the African Skies, which is a, it's kind of like a celebration of the album. It's like they did it on their 20, the 25th um, anniversary. And I watched it. I did like a little free subscription to some channel. I don't even know. So I could watch it. Okay. It's really fascinating. And like Oprah was on there and Whoopi Goldberg, David Byrne, Quincy Jones. All these people were just saying how Graceland changed the world. It changed their mm -hmm. life. It was like this huge album. Quincy Jones, who is like a world renowned, famous like producer. He said the most profound thing. Let this sink in. Okay. He said. There's only 12 notes, man. Until God gives us 13, we all have the same materials to work with for 500 years. That's what music is. It's the voice of God. Ooh. Never mind the voice of God part, but the fact that there's only 12 notes in the musical right. like, chart. And yet yes. there's hundreds of millions of thousands of variations of it. And we were only given 12 notes. And so Quincy Jones was saying, you, you're making it what with what you got and what you got, you've it's fascinating. Like when you look at it in that way. Wow. Fascinating. 12 notes. And Paul Simon wrote and created Graceland out of this. Right. Amazing, it's, just, it's just Quincy Jones. Like the one he's, Oh God, I literally got chills. Like, that's so inspiring to me. Okay. But I have a musical question. Like what mm -hmm. about sharps and flats? Well, yeah. Okay. So I did a little Google on that and then I was like, Oh, I'm not trying it. to ruin the mysticism of the quote, but I'm looking at the piano going, oh, but there's there's sharps and flats, but they are the same note, just sharper or flatter. Exactly. So that's that was going to be my thing. I was like, well, they're the same, but they're just higher and lower. Like they're sharp. Yeah, there's. Yeah, they're the same. I, I didn't I didn't mean to ruin but still, it. There are 12 notes from God. There's 12 notes from God. No, that is pretty what awesome way to look at the world. Look at music. And even if even if you drop off the comment where he says it's the voice of God, like that's what music is. It's 12 notes and we're all given the same materials. And this is what we this is what can come of it. Like beautiful church chimes at the perfect moment. Right. Or, you know, he comes to South Africa and he teams up with like all these amazing musicians. And in the Under the African Skies documentary, they interview them, they talk to them and they are just so wholesome and genuinely like passionate about the project. But. There was some major criticism and major controversy about him going because of the cultural boy boycott. And people thought that he was like capitalizing on them. And, yeah. you know, the former ambassador to the UN said, quote, when he goes to South Africa, he bows to apartheid. He lives in the hotels designated for the whites. He spends money the way whites have made it possible to. The money he spends goes back to goes to look after the white society, not the townships. So there was a huge Ooh. like tension about him being there. There was like, is that why he needed a bodyguard? Okay. 
okay i hadn't thought about it like that <laughs> literally i was so oh, focused I... on the controversy and like the criticism that he yeah. was receiving that i i was like didn't even really dive into the lyrics i did dive into the lyrics about what they mean but oh my god you're right that's why do you think because when he performed he when um the first concert he performed when when apartheid was lifted and Af south africa was finally free there was bomb threats they actually had to delay the concert there was actual like like kind of like homemade bombs that were going off i don't nobody was injured nobody was killed it was like prior to the concert but he was but he was like at risk like the country was at risk for this concert so technically yeah he did need a bodyguard He's never wow. probably come out and said it, but you just basically like said it. I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It just came to me. I, um, whoa. Okay. I think there's so much to extrapolate, extrapolate, extrapolate there. Um, I would venture to say that mm -hmm. many, many, many of us, most of the time, even I would say most of the time when we go on a vacation mm -hmm. or when we go to, Costa Rica, Mexico. Yes. A um, place where there are marginalized people or there are brown people versus the white people that mm -hmm. when Americans, let's just say Americans go vacation there, mm -hmm. they are probably often doing the same, giving money back to the white people. Mm -hmm. Yucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yucky. That's why it makes you want to like when you go like don't I mean as much as you yeah, you might stay in a hotel but like maybe sleep at the hotel but the rest of the days venture out to the small towns and you know go to the small little restaurants, eat, you know, go to the little markets, like give back to the township, big give back to the community. And it's hard I know it's hard to do that because it's an unknown territory, you don't know where you are. But Paul Simon was his way of giving back was he was giving these musicians a voice like Ladysmith, Black Mombasa were like popular in South Africa. But after he brought them to the U.S. and they toured with him and he was on Saturday Night Live with them, they blew up. They became this huge sensation. And all of these artists kind of had some sort of voice because, you know, Paul Simon wanted you know wanted to give this voice to them and they sure. none of the musicians saw it as a criticism they never were like can't believe you're coming to my country the musicians that performed on the album with him have nothing but graceful things to say no pun intended they loved it they never saw it they did not agree with the criticism as all at all because they he yeah. took them on tour and they gave him this like voice but and like the the black activists mm -hmm. We're probably like, you're being an Uncle Tom, as, as the phrase we use here. I, mm -hmm. I I don't know what phrase they might use there, but you are not fighting the fight. You're brushing up with this rich white guy. And, and I would be curious to know the proceeds of Graceland since 1986. Mm. How much has he continued to give back to those communities? Like, mm -hmm. it's kind of... I mean, it's such a double-edged sword, though, because Paul Simon, like, good intentions, didn't hurt mm -hmm. anybody, mm -hmm. gave people great opportunities, made great music, respected everybody. Mm -hmm. Still, when you're trying to, like, do the right thing like that in another culture, I think you're always going to risk that kind of backlash. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can't please everybody. There's always going to be that criticism 
and he kind of he was actually naive about it he was like i don't understand why it's a problem like he's to this day kind of been like i don't know why it was a problem i didn't think of it as a problem i still don't really think of it as a problem he even sat down with the artist against um the apartheid you know founder this you know activist and they each were like okay tell me your side and i'll tell you my side and still paul was like but why am i the bad guy like why I, I still don't understand why I'm the bad guy. He was, you know, they they were able to see each other's perspective, but Paul was still kind of like. I, I, I wonder if an American person with brown or black skin went mm-hmm. there, if they would have had the same backlash. That's an interesting. Yeah. Like if maybe. Yeah. Like if Quincy Jones went there and didn't perform or produced an album or something like that. Yeah. Stevie Wonder, somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is it like how much, I mean, obviously this is culture. Mm -hmm. A a person with brown or black skin in South Africa has a completely different experience than a person with black or brown skin in the United States. Right. So taking a brown or black person and putting there doesn't mean they're going to get it, you know, just better only by their skin color. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, when he went down there, we were only like 20 years away from stopping school segregation. If that he went down there in 86, mm-hmm. like, were we really that much different? Right. Are we still not that are much different? Still? Yeah. I mean, things are already. Yeah, it's so true. So true. I mean, like, I, know, I know very little about South Africa since apartheid ended I don't know the level of racism there, but you know what wouldn't surprise me? It wouldn't surprise me if they were doing better than we were in the way of race relations. It wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me either. They And, you know, apartheid was brutal. It was a horrible, horrible. And they they they've probably over, overcome it way better than we overcame. They're in a better place than we are. You're probably right. So, I, I mean, sorry, America. Mm-hmm. My country tis of thee, but... Um, but you have not been the sweet land of liberty for everybody and we're still not and it upsets me mm-hmm. okay okay little exactly. tangent there okay what else what else you got okay. here so yeah so you know as a whole he saw it as like a union of cultures he saw it as like a collaboration whereas the natives of south africa saw it as like plagiarism and stealing but he was like i'm just trying to create this happiness so in a, in a way, like he kind of did finally come around and everyone came. It, it, now it's like recognizing there's no criticism. It's like one of the greatest albums of all time. It's incredibly innovative. I mean, if you listen to Graceland, you can and you listen to like music now, like there's you, people are still jiving off of it and getting inspiration from it. Like the band Vampire Weekend. It's basically like Graceland volume two. Like I love the, I love the Vampire Weekend. Oh, interesting comparison. Right? Have you ever, have you listened to Vampire Weekend? And like, I mean, really? I know like the two songs that have made it on the radio. Okay. Vampire Weekend. I listen to, to their first album okay. and you'll be like, okay, I see where they're coming from. Oh, okay. Anyway. I'm going to do that. Interesting. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Okay. So let's talk about the lyrics. We got okay. a little tidbit into Graceland and Paul Simon, his controversy and all that stuff. But um, let's talk about uh, the lyrics. So journal, music journalist John Perales, he noted that the lyrics can be interpreted as someone going through a midlife crisis. And John Perales, we know you're listening. Yes. Hi, John Perales. It's nice to see you. Thanks for coming to our midlife. Yeah. Midlife crisis. Yeah. Well, why am I soft in the middle now? I ask myself that every day. Uh-huh. Exactly. 
<laughs> why am I so soft in the middle? Life is my life is hard, but why am I soft in the middle? <laughs> yeah. God damn it. Where's my photo op? Yeah. So if you and kind it, of like pick apart the first couple of verses, you kind of see a very self-centered human being, right? Like I need a photo opportunity where I want a shot at redemption. I, I don't want to end up a cartoon, you know, I'm I, Mr. Beer Belly. Get these mutts away from me. Like I get away. I don't, I, I I'm self-centered. I, I, all I care about is my family. All I care about is my role model. I care about myself. Where's my photo app? Like he's very like self-centered. Right. And then mm-hmm. he's walking down the street and he's in a strange world. Maybe it's a third world. Maybe it's his first time there. He doesn't speak the language. He has none of their money. He is foreign there. He's surrounded by the sound and the scatterings of the orphanages and the cattles in the marketplace. He looks around and he sees angels in the architecture spinning in infinity. And he says, amen. Hallelujah. He's like, okay, I've kind of come to my own. I've, I've arrived. Mm-hmm. It's not always about me. Right? So Simon says, wow. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Simon's has explained it a couple different times and he says it starts off very easily with sort of a joke. Why am I soft in the middle when life, when the rest of my life is so hard, very easy words. Then it has a chorus that you can't understand. What is he talking about? You can call me Betty and Betty. You can call me Al. You don't know what I'm talking about, but I don't think it's bothersome. You don't know what I'm talking about, but neither do I at that point. Okay, thanks, mister. But then he continues to say, hmm. the second verse is really a recapitulation. Excuse me. A man walks down the street. He says another thing. And by the time you get to the third verse and people have been into the song long enough, now you can start to throw abstract, abstract images because there's been a structure and those abstract images, they will come down and fall into one of the slots that the mind has already made up during the structure of the song. And then he proceeds to say, so now you have this guy who's no longer thinking about that, the mundane thoughts about whether he's getting too fat, whether he needs a photo op or whether he's afraid of the dogs in the moonlight in the graveyard. He's like no longer this self-centered person. Like he has abandoned his, his ego. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then, and he also says, this is another quote, story of someone like me who goes to South Africa with no idea and ends up having an extraordinarily spiritual experience angels in the architecture spinning in infinity amen and hallelujah starts off with why am i soft in the middle the rest of my life is so hard how a self-obsessed person becomes aware that's a quote yeah you know what amen hallelujah paul simon al betty (laughs) call me out all you guys i mean Yes, yes, and yes. What better way to get out of self-centeredness mm-hmm. than to leave your home, leave your culture, travel, and then instead of just going and staying at the um, White Lotus Hotel, <laughs> you decide to like put yourself in the culture of Sicily, of that place. Like, yeah. You will be grateful for what you have. You will have so much appreciation for other people. Just like talking to strangers. Yeah. Even in other states, you know, or when you travel at all, people seem to be more willing to talk to people you don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're on, when you're in line for a, I don't know, a roller coaster or a, what's that thing that takes you up high in Gatlinburg? 
that little thingy. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, when you're like in line at, you know, someplace or you're sitting at a coffee shop in a, you know, a new place, whatever, I'm on a tangent, but you get out of yourself when you physically get out of your, um, you know, culture and what's comfortable. Exactly. And Paul Simon had said many times, he's like, I was uncomfortable there. It was very uncomfortable for me. Like I was uncomfortable, but he was so, well, he was so committed to the album that he put himself there and he had this spiritual awakening. Like he, he rubbed elbows with the people and he made music with the people. He didn't just like go and like eat, hang out for a few weeks. Like he became a part of their lives. And, you know, he goes back to visit them and they're all like, so happy to see him and you know they built these like friendships and you can kind of see like they go to when they do their anniversary thing back to what you were saying like how much the 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 you know money was brought back to the people they're not you know they're living comfortably they're you know they're they're they have a name for themselves like they're the famous accordion player from the graceland album so you don't really see like how it's, you know, flourished their lives, but you can tell just by the way they speak about it. Like, I don't think, I think that the proceeds. I feel like if I was really rich and talented, like Paul Simon, after I did that, I would be like, okay, next up Asia, next up. Oh, right. The Ukraine. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Uh, Cuba, when it was so terrible there, probably is, they're still getting out of terribleness there, but mm-hmm. Haiti, like, I wonder yeah. how, if you have like, tons of money and tons of resources and you have that experience why did it stop there why did yeah it... has yeah. he spent the rest of his life living in like austin or something i hope not probably not where is that where do you think paul simon hangs out probably new york he's i think, a new york guy. yeah new york he's a new york guy but you think he would that would change his life to where he would just travel the world and do stuff like that everywhere and do albums that are like you know signatures to the the native lands yeah that's an interesting thought i hadn't thought about like that like you know like the fujis they were really big on you know haiti and bringing Mm -hmm. awareness to the tragedy and like the poverty of haiti yeah did he continue that i didn't know i just wonder that's an interesting thought i don't have an answer for that i just feel like if i was rich and musically Mm -hmm. talented yeah i would never be at home I wouldn't even have a home. Like I would be like all yeah, over always. the world. I mean, would I be immersing myself in every culture? No. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not going to like, I am just going to go. Let's face it, guys. I'm going to go to the, to the uh, white Lotus here and there. Okay. I'm going to. <laughs> all right. Like, right. I, I would go tomorrow if I knew where that place really was. And if I had a credit card to max out, I would go, you know, Absolutely. if I wanted to max out a credit card, I would go to the white Lotus. But also, I would like to think if I was rich and musically brilliant, I would just like go hang out on the streets of insert place here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because they, people with the, would just with the sound talk engineer you. and press record. And yeah. that's exactly, and he, another odd fact, he literally pressed record during all these jam sessions, came back to New York and pieced it all together. They did not sing, perform, or do any full song. They just jammed and had a blast. And then the whole came- album was that mm-hmm. way. And yeah. then they came back and put it. Mm-hmm. So like, maybe like oh. when they were, they were jamming out and somebody was doing the. It was just part of a jam. And then they came back. They're like, let's put that with this. It literally was like piecing it together. The engineer was the sound engineer. The person who produced it. Roy Hayes, I believe is his name. Was 
incredibly and that was before like technology had like pro tools now like they they didn't have like all these amazing like recording devices and stuff so yeah i wonder who the human being is that came up with that riff he actually i have an answer for you he there was a there was a group in um south africa called stim stimina i know i have it i just have to find it a group called stimella and they were incredibly controversial because they were at odds with the um the government they caused a lot of tensions but the 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 main member like the guitarist the lead guitarist of that group he wrote the opening riff he was the one that created that riff but they actually mm. caused a lot of controversy. There was a lot of protests. There was a lot because they were hugely like they were very outspoken against the government. So the government was trying to like boycott them from leaving the country and, and performing and all that kind of stuff. And now they have bum, 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 on in the heads of every American born before, mm-hmm. you know, 1999. Yeah. Or something. Mm-hmm. Some guy, just some guy down there is like, bum, 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 bum. just some dude. Yeah. He should be rich, though. Like, I want him to be rich and living in a really nice house in South Africa. I'm going to say he probably is, but I don't know. I didn't even think about that aspect, even like research that. Like, what are the, the you know, I know the out, like what the the musicians, like they're, I don't know what they're doing now. I know Lady Smith, Black Mombasa are like still doing really big things. But yeah, I don't know the accordion player or the, you know, the guy that created the bass line. Is he still, what are they? Are they still making music? Are they doing anything else? I did not follow up on that. Well, no, I just have to be the cynic, okay? I have to take this really lovely story. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely story. Paul Simon did something lovely. He, I think he makes wonderful music. This was a humanitarian effort on his part. Blah, 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 blah. There's <laughs> angels in the architecture. It is gorgeous. Everything's wonderful. Amen, hallelujah. Amen, hallelujah. Who the hell's getting paid? <laughs> Who got paid, Paul? Okay. Because I have a feeling bow, 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 guy mm-hmm. might not still be getting paid. Okay. I mean, he might have had to rob Peter to pay Paul. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 